Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 38 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about holiday spending numbers. There's some data that's come out from Black Friday and Cyber Monday, so we thought we would unpack that and just what we think the rest of the year looks like. Um, there's uh, consumer confidence still is hanging sort of towards a low, um, which is interesting. So we thought we would unpack that and how you've got some interesting articles on on that point related. And our last item for today, probably our biggest topic Everybody has to have seen this in the news at this point. Millennials say that they need $525,000 of income to be happy. There was a recent study that was done by, I think it was Empower, Empower. uh, across all the different generations. Most came back at about what you'd think. Somewhere around $100,000 or so seems to be reasonable. Uh, Millennials were like five times that. So um, super interesting. We have so many questions, and uh, we actually use some AI to help us try to figure out how, how respondents were chosen for this because uh, it just seems kind of wild. Today we are recording on Friday, December 1st. It's 10.13 in the morning, the week after Thanksgiving. How, how was your Thanksgiving? It was really good. Low-key, we stayed in town and we had visitors from Seattle, or my in-laws. Uh, my wife's sister came in town with their kids and uh, we had my brother come in to um, come to the house, so very low key. Uh, I know you, I mentioned the I hate dry turkey, and we actually yeah. got a ham and um, you got a ham, nice. Yeah, we've been eating ham for the last uh, however many days since Thanksgiving, so I'm all porked out right now because yeah, your ham sandwich, ham for breakfast, ham scramble. It's it's everything ham right now. That must have been a big big ham because it sounds like you had a bunch of people over too yeah well the majority of them were kids so the kids ate like one bite and they were done and they wanted to go back yeah. to play so we had a yeah, lot yeah. of i guess it was regular size but it just when kids don't do their part <laughs> the leftovers yeah, become yeah. excessive <laughs> that's great yeah we just finished our turkey of last night our our leftover turkey so it was a it was a successful week of of uh revisiting the thanksgiving meal uh pretty much do you do anything creative with the leftover do you make like a turkey egg roll or you know just a spice up turkey so this year so we have these um they're like sheets of seaweed it's like to make like a imagine like Like a seaweed burrito yeah um yep yep uh just get them at the store they're you know i don't know 15 inches by 10 inches or something like that and so we made these turkey wraps. And so turkey in there, some mustard, um, some cranberry sauce, a little bit of lettuce or something else, and then roll that up and, and eat it as a little a little roll up. Um, so that was kind of a fun addition, whether it was a quick lunch or a quick dinner or something like that. We did that this year. Um, 
we started doing that when we ran out of kind of the sides from Thanksgiving, you know, we yeah. ran out of the vegetables yeah. and stuff. It's like, okay, now we just have a bunch of turkey left, you know, now what? Um, and so anyway, that's what we did. Yeah, when we start, it's like the leftovers, it's the, the turkey kind of Big Mac. You put the stuffing and the gravy and the mashed potatoes together, yeah, yeah. and you just make a sandwich. Then you there get you really tired of that really fast, and you're like, well, okay, what do we – got to make turkey fried rice or something to mess the turkey while you're still consuming Ooh. because, yeah, day, what, day number three on turkey leftovers, uh, <laughs> I know I'm speaking for a lot of people, gets really old really fast. It's got to mix it up, yeah. Yeah. But we were – so we got <clears throat> sick – all of us were sick. Well, our son was sick um, for like Saturday night, you know, when, when your kids just like pass out on you and they're just not, they have no energy. It's like, uh-oh. And so uh, I took last week off, off, like I mentioned, and I was glad I did because he basically slept on me all Monday. Then he was starting to get better. And then I got it Tuesday and it's like, uh-oh. Um, and then finally we, you know, we got better. But But I wanted to say that because last episode we were talking about how I thought turkeys went up and I was like, man, if I could just buy a turkey on Friday and we almost canceled the whole thing. Like we were texting with our family, like we're sick. We don't know if we can do this. I'll just leave the turkey outside, pick it up and just go. Cause I had done the brine on Monday, you know, so it needed to be cooked on Thursday, Friday. Uh, and if we had canceled, we were going to reschedule it to like Saturday, you know, so we'd be better. And then I was going to come in here and tell you that we bought a turkey on sale, but nonetheless, we kept it on actually yeah. Thanksgiving and yeah. uh, I don't have a sale turkey story to tell you about, but, um, anyway, it was a good time. It's maybe good time next year. Us. Yeah. We just got to go maybe to the next year. The sales, sale turkeys go for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll go to the store tomorrow. So I'll, uh, I'll see if there's still turkeys and if they're cheaper. Yeah, well, <laughs> now it's Christmas turkey. You just remove the Thanksgiving turkey label and slap a Christmas turkey label on there and you full price again. Also true. If if, that, hey, if I were for, running a grocery store, I'd do that. <laughs> I would at least hide <laughs> them for a couple weeks, you know? Yeah. Hide the turkeys yeah. for a couple weeks and then bring it back out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, I want to shout out to Hal. I want to recognize Hal on the pod here uh, a number of weeks ago. Hal passed. Yeah, thank you for the, the people tuning in on YouTube. There's this giant glowing light behind him, and that is a CFA Institute certificate. Uh, Hal has spent countless hours over many years going through level one, level two, and level three of the CFA. Um, the CFA is a chartered financial analyst. It is uh, probably the, the the most or one of the most sought out designations in our industry. Um, it's a specialty in investment analysis, risk analysis. Um, it's an internationally recognized des designation. Um, which is which is cool portfolio construction this kind of stuff and uh how and another team member of ours alex who we'll have to have on the pod sometime yeah it'd be fun you guys passed that exam uh and got your your letters in the mail so i just wanted to shout out and say congratulations awesome work very well deserved and we're proud of having two cfas on the team right now yeah yeah huge point of pride uh super happy for alex as well um Everyone's journey is going to be different. We we put in a lot of effort and work into this, and yeah, it's it's a proud thing to get that big poster sized certificate in the mail. I thought it was going to be a little, you know, regular undergrad degree size, but no, it's it's a seventeen by twenty two. If anyone was asking, it's just wildly oversized. <laughs> and seventeen that's, by twenty two is a weird size, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Eight and a half by eleven. Let's stick to that. Let's make it easy to frame these things. Yeah, the uh, the CFP one is similar. It's huge. I think the CFA oh, one is probably bigger, yeah. and I think it's in competition for like we're bigger, we're better, and here's a massive thing to put <laughs> on your wall. Um, yeah, so, I'm gonna uh, run out of background anyway, space because I'm going for the CFP yeah. now too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, congrats and uh, thank you and. Yeah, and everyone listening, it's a it's a big deal. So uh, please help me in in recognizing how for his achievement. All right, oh, to the main and, event. So oh, holiday spending, yes. Yeah, I was gonna flip it again. Uh, everyone, check out the the Consilio U. We got a thousand views collectively. It's Chris or Nathan, oh yeah, our other partner, who uh, give five six minute snippets of really easy to digest uh, financial or financial planning topics. Check it out. Again, a little bit of blowhard on this podcast, but those are easier to consume than this. Yeah, great, great point. Thanks for calling that out. So we launched this in July, I believe. Uh, this is a separate playlist in our YouTube channel, and the whole point of it is to be very short form. So obviously the podcast is much more long form, um, and we also post this on YouTube, and we post our quarterly market commentary on YouTube, and then Concilio University um, the goal of that is really to be like two to seven minute videos that are super educational and, um, you know, think about learning about how to maximize your Microsoft 401k or, um, what is the after-tax 401k and can you do it? Or, um, uh, uh, HSA plans, how do they work or how to change your sell to cover election on your vesting shares at Amazon. All of this stuff are these little videos that, that frankly, we can answer these questions all the time in our meetings. And we wanted to get it publicly online. So we're super proud that this has been our most popular endeavor. And we've got over a thousand views. Uh, the one thing that I will put on the wall behind me here is the YouTube thing. You know, <laughs> Just when draw you're looking one. at Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The silver platinum uh, one. Well, you can't draw one. You gotta earn it, how? Um, <laughs> so but when uh we are we are far from that. We need more subscribers. So everybody listening, please subscribe because that would be super cool to get that. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be cool to be a, uh, you know, financial advisor with nothing on the wall, but the, the cool YouTube play symbol. Um, anyway, that's my goal. You won't see anything on that wall until we get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually I have some shelves I need to put up because people keep telling me it's too, well, it's too it, dark. Yeah. Too barren. Yeah. It's too, yeah. Well, and when it's sunny out, it looks like I'm in the matrix cause it lights up in here cause I'm, I face West here. Um, and now this time of year, it's like awkwardly dark. So anyway, I need to get some lights. Maybe that's a holiday project. Okay, moving on. So <laughs> what are we here to talk about? We are here to talk about holiday spending. Let's start there. So you had some data that came out from, I think it was Black Friday, Cyber Monday. What are you seeing? What are your insights? What do you think the economy is going to do? Are we crashing and burning here? Or are we going to continue to spend like crazy and uh, GDP is going to be awesome still? Yeah, leading into the holidays everyone's just expressing a lot of doubt about the consumer finding finally tapping out um not in everyone i'm referring to target ceo walmart ceo it's like hey let's pump the brakes on the com consumer spending because we're seeing a significant slowdown in you know discretionary goods being bought at our stores right Be people customers are migrating more towards like the essentials groceries uh, you know toiletries things like that but what came out on Friday after Thanksgiving, I guess that Saturday, Adobe posted a 7.5% year-over-year growth in terms of 
online shopping. So Adobe did Adobe. Yeah. I don't know why Adobe does these, these, um, readings, the PDF company, okay. yeah, Adobe, maybe yeah, there's like, Adobe marketing, but <laughs> maybe we should know more about Adobe before we cite them. But they, they said seven and a half percent year over year increase in black Friday spending, uh, specifically online spending. So they, they report on that brick and mortars. We won't find out for a while. Um, the fact that the brick and mortar CEOs are saying, Hey, slow down, you know, is probably telling, um, my, my son, just to quickly take a tangent, my son graduated like his, uh, what's called ABA training. It's autism therapy that we've as a family really committed to. Like a therapist comes to our house and teaches them how to communicate and be more verbal. Uh, he graduated last week and we, as a celebration, it's like, Hey, let's, Ben, let's take you out to the, um, you know, McDonald's is a treat and take you to Walmart, <laughs> take you to Walmart to buy a gift, buy yourself a graduation gift. And this is post Black Friday. I was expecting barren shelves. The entire store was stocked and the, the sale prices were still listed. Like the, the, the discounted prices were listed. So maybe Walmart's right that consumers aren't buying as much of their discretionary goods hmm. versus someone going to Amazon. Cause I'm pretty sure I don't, we haven't seen Amazon results. I don't believe, but I'm pretty sure there would be year over year growth for online specifically Amazon. Yeah. I think online is, is we need those numbers, right? I, I somebody sent me this post, but it was, it was black Friday in uh, maybe early two thousands or something like that. And then black Friday today. And imagine the, you know, the, the mall parking lot or the Macy's or the, the Walmart. Yeah. And there's yeah. like tons of people in there, bags everywhere. People are shoving each other out of the way. I mean, I remember, you know, seeing in the news, like stores are opening up at midnight this Thanksgiving for Black Friday. Yeah. And now they don't do that anymore. Right. So I think it's less leaves the store and more leaves distribution centers, um, which is why it's harder to get a gauge when you're walking through the store. If a shelf is is full or empty if if the company's actually selling anything because again most of it comes through the internet these days correct so i i did see a i guess a meme video of a a wild black friday like you know the rush to the door when they open yeah. uh, it was one guy who walked in leisurely and he was just kind of perusing the aisles without any anyone in, else in sight other than the workers so as a former worker of a retail store black friday was a major stress point because customers are pretty awful people, especially the day after Thanksgiving. So maybe it's a good thing that we see less of the physicalness of it. This is interesting though. So Ally Bank um, reported that half of consumers plan to take on more debt to pay for holiday expenses this season. And only 23% have a plan to pay it off within one or two months. Yeah, cr credit card spending. Yeah, we're we're okay with credit card spending as long as you pay it off within the month, right? Well, but, but that's the thing is that I, I, at a national level, credit card debt has not risen faster than just normal normal trend, inflation. Yeah. Forget about yeah. inflation yeah. being high in the recent time here, but it's kind of just been a normal thing. Yet I continue to read these reports that seemingly more and more people are outspending their their incomes, but I'm not seeing it in the in the in the big data. No, I think the underlying data is strong, maybe, but that's the measurement of people, what they plan to do, 
whether whether they're capable of not or not of doing it meaning they might have tapped into savings and not have to go into debt um but yeah there's that divergence of of what people are saying and what they're able to do and i think that kind of leads into the next topic of happiness or lack thereof at least from the the u.s consumer is this where we get to talk about millennials yeah. uh this is where we talk about the um, consumer confidence survey. Oh, okay. I can't wait to talk about millennials, but, uh, all right, you kick us off okay. um, <laughs> and then we could talk about consumer confidence. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, the broader story is consumer confidence is still at an all time low. Um, it, it hit the low on a scale of one to 20. It was in the sixties last June when Chris and I family said that was the bottom for the stock market. It kind of was, um, <laughs> kind of was, yeah. Kind of we get credit, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but we said uh, the average return when sentiment bottles, bottoms was twenty four percent from that June twenty twenty two to June twenty twenty three. Guess what the return was from the the market? Mm, June to June, nine uh, percent, eighteen percent. So still below average, but amazing, amazing twelve uh, month. And following that pattern of when people feel bad about the economy, and we'll talk about, we'll get into more detail about what the consumer confidence actually measures, but when people feel bad about the economy, somehow the stock market doesn't really care, and it's a buy low situation, especially yeah. in the, the case of June. And anyone who sat that out missed out on 18% that they most likely won't get back at this point. Okay, so I actually looked this up because we've talked about this a number of times on the pod, this consumer confidence survey, and um, it's a handful of questions, and I, I, I know that I've said that a couple times on the pod, but I actually looked it up to find exactly what it is. So each month, the con, let's see, each month, the conference board surveys 5,000 U.S. households. If you've ever gotten this phone call, send us an email. I've never heard of anybody getting this phone call. I, I, no. I would assume they, I mean, of course they randomly do it. I feel like somebody like me is excluded from the survey because I'm licensed, you know, with the SEC and, and financial planner and whatnot. So I feel like they would assume that somebody like me would give them a bias. Um, just but still, simply, you'd still be on some kind of list over the years, right? Bef before you would personally tell them that you're licensed. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah, like maybe I'm totally wrong, right? I mean, I guess anyway. Okay, so here's a question. So there's five questions. Yep. And um, you are asked these five questions, and you are asked to answer: I feel positive, I feel negative, or I am neutral. Question number one: Current business conditions. How do you feel about the current business conditions? I could answer that. I question number two. Go ahead. I feel great. Like, Thank you. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, question number two, business conditions for the next six months. I feel great. Okay, good. Um, number three, current employment conditions. Positive, I feel negative, great. Neutral. Feel great. Okay, good. Uh, number four, employment conditions for the next six months. Oh, well, so what was the previous question relative to this one? Yeah. So current employment conditions is number okay. three. Feel Just great. like current. So current business conditions and then business conditions over the next six months. Current employment conditions, employment conditions over the next six months. I feel good, uh, but not like great. 
Okay, more neutral. Yeah. yeah. More neutral. And then number five is total family income for the next six months. I feel good. I think that's an interesting one. They ask about income, not like save, you know, how do you feel about your bank balance? Um, but yeah. anyway, those are the five questions. Basically, how do you feel today and how do you feel over the next six months? And then based on the positive, negative, or neutral, they gather the data and they they create a relative value and then they you know plot it on the dot plot. So that's how it's done, everybody. Now you know. Yeah, and I th well the the article that we have linked to this uh, more recently is the CNN poll um, released earlier in November. At this point, seventy two percent of Americans think think the the things are going badly. Seventy two percent, sixty six percent say that the economy will be like an important factor when voting in next year's election. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, again, doesn't bide well for Biden, but again, we're not here to say who we prefer or not. It's just, um, it's weird. It is weird to see such a overwhelming, I don't know, pessimism or negative outlook for the economy when, when I said yes to employment, right? Unemployment's at 4.7%. Uh, wage growth has grown. And the big rub which kind of knocks all this over is inflation or how how high prices have been. Yeah. And the big reason Black Friday has grown online is we've actually seen the steepest discounts in like two years in terms oh, of really? the Black Friday pricing offerings, right? That makes sense because prices have come up, so steepest discounts. Yeah, from high, it's coming from a higher base, right? <clears throat> I want to say down something from here. Base. Real quick before we go too far, so you're saying the majority of Americans feel like things aren't going well. Um, there's a, a, a sentence here in the article, so it says 58% uh, of people told CNN that uh, Biden's policies have made economic conditions worse. Isn't that true for every president? Isn't there always a majority, like <laughs> two-thirds or more, that says you've made yeah. it worse? It doesn't matter who the president is, right? Yeah. Especially nearing kind of the end of whatever that fourth fourth year i feel like that is fun with not not fun with numbers but i feel like it's all, always the fun case. with questions yeah fun with fun with questions question. yeah yeah um again i'll be be pretty blunt when was the last time a president hired you directly for your job you know and when was the last time you really honestly thought you're unless you work for the federal government that the president was responsible for I'm talking from a finance point of view. Sure. I totally get what the non-financial people think about how much power presidents have over an economy, let alone a multi-trillion dollar economy. Yeah. I just think I think the disconnect there is pretty wild, but I, I, I think it falls into the what, what exposure people are seeing, right? So the next paragraph is like TikTok. You know, some guy posted about a $16... Big Mac, or uh, sorry, not Big Mac, a uh, McDonald's special meal. Really? And it was, yeah, he posted, again, it's it's regional, so I think it was in Northeast, so New York area, and it was a promotional meal that had, I don't know, I think it was still one burger, it's still $16 at McDonald's, that's still pretty expensive. I'll pay 16 but, bucks, I'll pay 24 bucks at a steakhouse, you know, for a steakhouse yeah, burger, yeah. like a good, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, there, but... there's a sense of worth there, um, but yeah, this was a, pretty viral moment on TikTok and YouTube. And no matter how much news you read, that, that viral moment does seem to amplify and stick more than 
anything else that that's sensible, right? Okay, you've been. I, I gotta. I gotta call you out for a minute. You've been dogging on Chipotle for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because of inflation, their burritos and um, I, as weird as it was, so we were sick last week. Day after Thanksgiving, I finally got my appetite back, and I'm like, I need a burrito. I'm going with Chipotle. <laughs> it was just the only thing that sounded good, and so I go and I get just your your you know your standard barbacoa burrito. No, I didn't get guac. You know, just just a normal thing, and it was eleven bucks out the door. I thought that was reasonable. I was expecting to pay eighteen bucks based on what you keep telling me, but I, I don't know. I thought <laughs> I thought it was reasonable. Yeah, and I think well, pricing is pretty regional, um, but yeah, you are in a higher. I would assume you bought the burrito in a, the the greater Seattle area. So I mean, would... I did, but come on, how much is a burrito down by you? But the same price without the guac. Yeah, but with the guac, yeah, it's in in the range where I'm complaining. But I gotta have guac in my burrito. <laughs> so it's well, the guac that puts yeah. you over the edge. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, because guacamole shouldn't cost what two two thirty five extra. Like it's a. You know, I think I the other part is uh, that I've seen with Chipotle is the the portion sizes have been smaller. So, so they're they're <clears throat> they've been open about raising prices. I'm not dogging them for being transparent. They they've been pretty obvious about. Hey, we have to raise prices to to address meat prices, labor prices, yada yada. Okay, um, yeah. I will give you that. But they I will give you that. Go but ahead. I have seen, yeah, um, portion sizes shrink. I don't know how big the burrito is. Um, honestly, I, we my kids don't are super picky, so we won't go to Chipotle. But I think I think portion size might be something they control for too. Just what decrease the size of the scooping spoons and problem solved so, there. So in college, I, I would eat uh, barbacoa burrito all the time. Like, that was my thing. Me and you got to go steak. Go. The, the, the shredded meat texture doesn't really sit well with me. I would say that it's gone downhill. I would say that it was great back then, and it, you had a good amount throughout the whole burrito. Um, so that's what I, I haven't eaten, eaten Chipotle in years. And so, again, this is what I wanted. Barbacoa burrito. Boom. Done. Sour cream, cheese, some lettuce, some corn, medium <laughs> salsa, out the door, right? Um and the barbacoa of and when I saw him putting it on the on the burrito, like he took these tiny little pincer amounts of it, and I'm like, dude, can I get a little more of that, you know? And uh, but there was a big chunk that fell on the burrito. I was like, oh, that's gonna be good. Well, it was all like gristle, and it wasn't it wasn't good. So I ended up pulling yeah. it out of the burrito, trying to pull it apart. Um, so I was less than impressed at. A, the quality of that. Which... You left that part out of the conversation. You were like, hey, how the, the burrito price is not that expensive. Hey, we're talking about cost here. We're talking about cost. You pivoted us to quality. We're talking about cost. Cost versus okay. satisfaction. So, and then like many, many bites, it was, you know, rice, beans, some lettuce and corn soup, whatever. And I was yeah. like, where's my barbacoa? Yeah. So next time, maybe I'll do another experiment. I'm going to go get a chicken burrito because I'm sitting there and you know Chipotle, right? They do everything they do everything in front of you grinding yeah. their cheese yeah. yeah and they've got this big grill back there with all their chicken going and they're seasoning it and everything I'm like that looks good i'm gonna get a chicken burrito to see if they actually put more on it um because i'm i'm thinking maybe the barbacoa is more expensive or whatever so anyway okay i'll report back but the other thing We're you said the other thing you said is they didn't prompt for tip that might entice me to go back because i am so sick of seeing the tip prompts i was so ready for the tip prompt I yeah. mean, I'm standing in line and I'm like, oh my God, am I going to tip a buck? Am I going to not tip? I'm going to walk out of here two bucks. What am I going to do? And, uh, you know, rings me up, swipe the card, 
receipt prints out. He's like, thanks so much. Have a great day. Yeah. See ya. No yeah, tip and prompt. All this stuff we, we've been saying, a lot of people say it's the president's fault. Tell me where barbacoa quality is Biden's fault or if it was Trump, it was Trump's fault, right? Like this is really weird connection that, that you know, the sour mood. The American consumers have been exceptionally willing to spend money, so they're they're not happy about spending money, but they're glad they're doing it. So they say they're not happy, but they are doing in terms of action something completely different. Well, there's right? a disconnect with the numbers, right? Because if most people are saying, and that's why I think that they shouldn't call me on the survey because I would kind of answer like you, like I feel pretty good. Yeah, we see and the yeah we look at the data. Yeah, GDP. Yeah. That was this week. Good. Right? I'm mixing. Yeah, it was this week. GDP print was five percent. Which was there? There must have been something seasonal in that. A five percent annualized rate with this quarter. I mean, it jumped from like doubled. Yeah. Over last and quarter. The typical uh, response you'll see is like, "Well, the, the government's fudging the numbers." I was like, "Well, the, even if the scale's broken, a broken scale, as long as it's consistent, is good for comparability." So where we were GDP wise last year, right? So mm -hmm. it's been a even though it's a big jump. Again, you can't really accuse because there hasn't been a measurement shift. You can't accuse uh, fudging numbers. Again, there's some really smart people that look at the numbers month in, month out. And if they're not sounding the alarm, I'm really not going to listen to Joe Schmo on Facebook saying the numbers well, are fudged by the government. Jay Powell is talking right now, so let's see what the market's doing. Oh, it's, it's holding. Okay. All right, he should set down the mic and walk away. <laughs> yeah, just go every away. time Jay Powell speaks, yeah. it uh, market goes down. So, uh, yeah, just thought I'd give you that quick check. Yeah, so uh, I think uh, what we're talking about is the happiness or lack thereof, and it kind of it it goes right into the next topic is the empower study of coincidentally unhappiness. Well, maybe not unhappiness, but uh, perceived happiness. <laughs> you perceived happiness, or what? What it's right, going to so take to be happy, right? This hit everybody's phones. It's been all over the news. And uh, this is, I was going to say hilarious. I don't know if you know if that's appropriate, but here we go. So uh, this study here, um, which was really so Empower, uh, did a study conducted by the Harris Poll in August. They asked 2,034 Americans aged 18 and over what they think the key to financial happiness really is. Turns out 59% of respondents thinks, think happiness can be bought. And the average person believes it would have it would take having 1.2 million in the bank to be truly happy financially. When it comes to annual salary, the average respondent thinks that they need 284,000 each year to be happy. Uh, and here is where the data gets, I think, really interesting. Yeah. Here we go by generations. Okay, boomers, boomers responded and said we need $124,000 annual income or salary to be happy and we need a net worth of about a million seems reasonable yeah seems reasonable yeah, yeah. seems totally reasonable um gen x 130,000 of annual income okay same and a net worth of 1.2 million that seems about reasonable as well like okay maybe a little yeah. higher because of maybe some inflation or a little younger generation whatever uh millennials next up 525,000 of annual income with a net worth of 1.7 million. Clearly there's a disconnect there, right? Because if the income is like four times higher, but the, the net, net worth income is should be higher, yeah. Only a little bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> or the net worth, yeah. A lot of income, a, don't need to save it. As a millennial, that seems reasonable. 
That should be, that, that, yeah, that should be like five twenty-five of income and four or five million of, exactly. of net worth. But not the strongest uh, uh, subject for us is uh, math. Um, so Gen Z, one hundred twenty-eight thousand of income with a net worth of about five hundred thousand. I think that is actually interesting too. Gen Z, the lowest net worth, half of what Boomer said, and yeah. basically the same income. So again, when these studies come out, we've all seen them. They all are about the same numbers, right? There's a linear 100. path, right? Yeah. Yeah. Millennials at 52025. So um, you dug into this a little further. You dug into the respondents and whatnot. So what did you find here? And just can you enlighten us on uh, yeah. what, Easily. how the data got? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Let me Thank speak you. for an entire generation. I think uh, anecdotally, millennials are incredibly special. The first uh, generation that kind of turn the century, right? Um, grew up with the combination of analog and digital and the internet age. So we're a very special bunch and we deserve $525,000 a year. I don't, and, I don't and see anything note, less. Hold on. Let's note economically also what happened because yep. uh, Morgan Housel would tell us that what you experience throughout life There's imprint. impacts. Yeah. Mm -hmm, impacts I think that's the more, more serious side. Taught. Yeah, I'm not being okay, quite sorry. serious yet. You but... go. You go. I'll, I'll shut up. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, the the millennial generation, I'm again taking a step back actually. Stop messing around. The millennial generation, I don't see them as being much different other than what you've mentioned is some of the the psyche could be damaged from some really severe recessions, some really severe events in terms of the market. Uh, not just the stock market, but like the real estate market, right? What other mm -hmm. generation lived through the 2008 crash mm -hmm. at the at the burgeoning of their grown up years, right? That's tough. And pre pre 2008, it was very easy to get a house, very yeah. easy to qualify, no down, just yeah, every, anybody can get a house regardless of yeah. the price. Don't even need to make much money. Uh, and then all of those lending standards changed and housing prices went up. Exactly. So now a lot of those people are feeling like I'll never be able to buy a house. Yeah. And th even worse, right? What other generation at the maximum earning age power, I guess, I've, yeah, I think you know what I mean, was hit with a global pandemic and everything was mm -hmm. shut down. Mm -hmm. And then further ex exacerbating the housing crisis it, from their point of view. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so there are some, some lingering effects that are economically based that seemingly hit millennials. I would say gen X as well, but not as bad because they had a few years head start to kind of get their roots planted. Yep. But yeah, it started with 2008. I think that's one of the biggest things that, that is leading to some of the weird responses because that's a five X income requirements needed to be happy, but it doesn't show up on the back end in, in net worth. So where's that money going from, from their point of view? That's, that's what I would question. And who yeah, the perceived need is interesting. Yeah. And who are they asking? Who I would really want to question the Harris pollsters, the right? Pollsters. <laughs> well, it, it's a pollster, right? Cause, um, you got it. They interviewed 2,000 people. Uh, so it's all broken up by generation. Silent Generation had 200 respondents, which um, in the statistics world, it's it's not a huge sample size. Uh, millennials, 720 out of 2,000. 
Yeah, but 720 millennials have pretty wide-ranging opinions or needs depending on where they live, depending on their their education level, the industry they work in, uh, their family size, right? If Or if they were able to buy a house in 2010, 2011, when house prices were still low. That, that makes a huge difference in terms of how they view things. But yeah, the, the math isn't the very strong suit because requiring $525,000 in income but not making it up for it on net worth means, one, they don't know how to, how to make adjustments or they don't know how to budget or, two, they're spending it all or intend to spend it all. I, I think that's just weird. <clears throat> I do think it's interesting that... So 35% of respondents in the study, 720 of them were millennials. So that would actually suggest that the data on millennials is potentially more accurate or is accurate. Than any other um, group, yeah. Yeah, my, my question here is, was it was it appropriately regionally diverse? Um, I could certainly see 525,000 in LA or New York or, you know, hey, I, I want that nice car and I got to buy this apartment or, you know, live in an apartment or that kind of thing. And yeah, I, I probably need a half a million bucks to be able to do all that stuff. And maybe that's reasonable to 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 shoot for, given the desired lifestyle of the the people that you want to be. Um, but if you're in a super low cost of living area, I don't know Oklahoma or something, I I can't help but wonder that the respondent would say the same thing, right? It just costs less money. You know, if your rent is twelve hundred dollars a month, um, why do you need five twenty five? You know, so correct. I think that should be dug into a little bit more. Yeah. When you have an open-ended happens. Yeah. If you have an open-ended response polling like that, uh, you have to adjust for outliers. So there might've been some crazy subset of the millennial group there that said, well, I need a million and it's bringing up the entire average. Why don't you kick that person out or hang up the phone on them? Because they're obviously crazy. Right. Or they so just have a different life circumstance. Than this else. goes further. Than so it says, can money buy happiness? This was asked here. And the answer is yes. For 59% of Americans, 72% of millennials, and 67% of Gen Z. Uh, and the price tag was $1.2 million. That is, that is net worth. Um, just 17% of people say that financial contentment is about reaching a certain net worth. Um, so it's something else. It's not about net worth. It's, it's, it's something else, but most people strive for this. This is of course in, um, somewhat, it's not, it's not contradicting the, the famous, I believe it was a Harvard study said over about 70,000 of income, which I think is like 90,000 or so today yeah. adjusted yeah. for inflation, anything above that the amount of happiness. happiness. Yeah, um, exactly. Which actually I've seen, I've seen more updated studies that, that sort of challenges that thesis that says at higher levels of income what that more income allows you to buy back your time. The only thing that we all have together is 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Um, and so if more hours of time can be bought back to spend more time with family or traveling or this, that, and the other, that's more achievable at higher levels of income than it is at lower levels of income. And so, um, and then buying back time equals happiness. And so does money buy happiness? That study says yes, based on that. Possibly that's what a lot of um, this data is going to, because if previously you told me people are stressed, people don't feel good about the economy, well, then I don't want to work 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week. I want to you know, do other things with my time and spend time with my friends and my family and this kind of stuff. 
Um, and so, yeah, you know, yeah, if I had more money, I could buy back my time. Maybe that's where all this is going. I don't know. Um, but I just think it's interesting that, uh, that millennials say they need a lot of money and I don't know that they know why, why they need that much money, but I need that much money and then, then my problems will go away. What's cause coffee, right? Under the same, I guess the highlights that empower chose to point out is 62% of millennials say they're willing to spend $7 a day on coffee. That's an experience though. Yeah, that 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 accounts that 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 should explain 525k a year, right? No, 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 no. Because it's just how people <laughs> spend. So, because yeah. millennials, the, the the we all remember the initial research. It's like, oh my god, this cohort is not going to work. They want a promotion after their second day at work. Yeah, um, they're lazy. They're sick on Fridays. Like this is this is this is really bad. And and actually, how it turns out is that yes, possibly that cohort needs more recognition, um, but it's that their spending habits are that they want to spend on experiences. So only recently have millennials started to buy homes. They've delayed that purchase. And this was, of course, one of the biggest, oh my God, moments yeah. for America is like, do we have anybody to buy all these homes that the boomers are going to sell? Turns out, yes, no surprise there. But millennials want to spend money on experiences, whether it's $7 coffee, $80 wine tasting, um, you know, a tour of the entire, you know, back end of a restaurant or something like they'll spend money on those things when, um, to to because they see value and they want to learn about it versus yep. other cohorts won't. So seven dollar coffee, yeah, no problem. I I don't I don't see an issue with that. I think it goes in the experience category for them um, because they're spending less on other things and they just value those experiences more, which is why seven bucks is you know reasonable. Yeah, it's if you do the math, two hundred ten dollars a, a month. If you do re, do that seven dollar coffee religiously. 30 days a, a month, $210 is a gym membership. It's a car payment. It's a, it's stuff that millennials probably don't value as much as other generations uh, that are older than them. Uh, cable, right? Cable subscriptions. I think, I think it's one, a budgetary preference. And I don't know why people choose to highlight that and um, what the, the guacamole toast, or what? What's it called? The avocado toast. Avocado oh. toast, guacamole toast. I'm so stuck on guacamole, um, <laughs> but you see what I mean. It's those those expenses, two hundred ten a month, isn't gonna make or break a retirement plan. But that could be a consequence of other lack of planning issues. I get it, but it, you know, have you seen two hundred ten swing someone's success or not in terms of? Uh, well, being able to retire or meet their goals. I mean, it, I can't answer that because the the, the people that work depends with us on the person not, yeah. are not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's the 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 folks that hire us are are not in a position of where a decision of seven dollars a day is a you know saving seven dollars more, spending seven dollars more does yeah. not make a material impact on their plan. So I, mean, I I can't I can't That's speak what, to it because we work with a yeah yeah a different. It's upset. I totally get it. But I'm saying is if if two hundred ten dollars times twelve is a real financial issue, maybe yes, let's start really consider saving more and making coffee yeah. at home. But yeah, the experiential thing I think is a lot more important to millennials and younger Gen Z as well than Definitely. the older groups because older groups just really really prioritize home ownership and owning stuff, right? Um, 
that was kind of the American dream, and it doesn't doesn't seem like that's ironclad to, as much. And when someone starts thinking differently about that, then the, the questions really come: Oh, you're wasting all your money on coffee or avocado toast or guacamole toast? I'm gonna make that guacamole, thing. guacamole toast. toast. Yeah, that's a new thing. Yeah, but yeah, that's that. I think that's um, what this we're is to interesting. Highlight. Three in four workers say that they'd like to receive financial coaching, and this is alluding to from their employer, I believe, to decrease financial stress. That's interesting. Uh, 37% say saving for retirement is a top goal for the year and uh, for the year ahead, and 67% believe their employer has a responsibility to help with financial planning. That's like things like 401k options. Um, I think that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, advice is a top factor in determining financial happiness. So more than half of respondents know what their financial goal is. I, I know that too, 525,000 of income. Yeah. Uh, but feel <laughs> simple that this, yeah, the study showed it. Um, but feel that they don't know how to get there. Yeah, I agree. I know I need 525 of income, but I don't know how to get there. Uh, Americans rank getting good money advice as a key determinant to financial happiness i could not agree more um but yeah the thing on our side is we're battling decades of bad actors in our industry like financial or people who label themselves as financial advisors that just there's a lot of hurdles mentally that people kind of have the baggage about our industry and i think that makes it hard right because if you see a financial advisor oh what is this guy trying to sell me and Maybe there's a fear of that because the, there is a bad reputation in our industry. I don't know how much well, we're running into it, but like you know, you know what I mean, right? I think uh, yeah, and I think the issue is like the TikTok financial advisor. Uh, yeah, is not actually a financial advisor. I, I've wondered where the SEC might step in on some of this, where you 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 swipe through and you start seeing people are people are making investment recommendations. On yeah. TikTok. Look at sports stars, right? Cristiano and they're not Ronaldo. licensed. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo is getting a class action lawsuit of a billion dollars for hawking a cryptocurrency. And this is happening mm. now. So you're seeing Kardashians, you're seeing Tom Brady, you're seeing people who have this reach that's already built in hashing out mm. financial advice. And they're not licensed. They're not having to go through the rigmarole we do just to stay in this profession. They don't have a giant right. poster behind their yeah. their video like yeah, how yeah, does. That, that doesn't yeah. say yeah, say much in terms of validity, but you totally yeah. But in fact um, they have the YouTube play symbol that I'm going for. God, what's yeah. that say about me? They have those in spades. And I think that's the issue is those those what they say has a lot more reach than what you know, a couple of blowhards like me and you say. Okay, don't be so strong now. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, super interesting study. We'll 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 wrap on this here. Um, Tell I us just, about your guacamole toast and your chipotle burrito standards. Tell it us the best bang for your bucket yeah. chipotle. I'll go back and get one. I'm going against the barbacoa at this point. It's not as good as yeah. it was when I was in college. Add guacamole, please. And like make your burrito life a lot easier to. Guacamole is not free. It shouldn't be free. I don't. I don't believe it should be free. I'm totally against you on that. If I had a burrito shop, I would be charging for guacamole. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's just. 
I mean, even the fancy. Anyway, okay, never mind. We got to wrap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a fun conversation, though. All right, fun conversation today. Um, all right, we'll catch everybody in a couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, everyone.